Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, just uh, if you open your scripture to, um, to Galatians chapter 4, we're going to be there. Just hold your place for a minute. Uh, we'll go over to John chapter 8 as well uh, before we really get into Galatians 4. Uh, but again, we're excited uh, to be able to walk through this uh, letter together this morning. Uh, I'll never forget the day that I got my driver's license. Uh, I want you to think back, those of you who uh, are driving age, think back to that moment, that day where you uh, got your driver's license. I grew up in West Tennessee and it was a small town. And being a small town, there was only one day during the week that you could actually get your driver's license. Uh, they were only open on Fridays, and so it was one of those things where, uh, depending on what day that your birthday was, you had to either wait a long time, or if you got lucky, uh, you didn't have to wait a long time. Well, I was one of the ones that got lucky. I was, uh, my birthday that year fell on Friday. And so uh, right after school, get in the car, uh, go with my mom. We go to uh, this small building that is outside the two baseball fields for the whole city. And uh, that's where it all went down. And so we pull into the parking lot. The lady, uh, she gets in the car and she tells me to, to, to drive down the road. And so we literally drive a mile, turn around in a parking lot and drive back. And she hands me a license. I did it. I didn't have to parallel park. I didn't have to do really anything. I just, I just had to drive straight, turn around in the parking lot and come back. All of a sudden, I was now free to drive by myself. So that night, I had a very important basketball game to play. It was a church league basketball game. So I drove myself for the first time to that game. I had a career high of probably six points that night for all the excitement. And I made it home, and I made it home safely. But that night, I realized that I had lost my wallet at the basketball game. And so it was going to be another week before I could get my license again. You see, I had the ability to drive at that point. I even had the desire to drive at that point. But I was no longer free to drive at that point. I want to talk this morning about this idea of what it means to be free. Deep down inside of all of us, we desire, we have a longing to be fully free. But I believe that we are a people who exist. There's many who think that they are free, but yet indeed are not. All throughout the, the letter of Galatians, this theme, this idea of freedom has protruded out. There's times where he blatantly talks about freedom. There's times where he just alludes to the freedom that we've been set free from our sin. But as we turn to Galatians 4, the end of this chapter, he, he goes full throttle, if you will, into this idea of what it means and where do we find 
freedom. See, church, this morning I want to portray this reality that we are never fully free until we have found the freedom that comes through a right relationship with God. It's simply impossible to find freedom outside of that. And I want to do this. I want to turn to John 8 for a minute to set up what we're going to look at in Galatians 4. So in John chapter 8, in verse 31 and verse 32, Jesus is talking with some Jews, it says, and he says this to them. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then he says in verse 32, and you will know the truth. How do we know the truth? By abiding in his word. And you will know the truth. And then he says this, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And so Jesus is having this conversation. He tells them that this truth, if you stick to the word, if you stick to it, if you abide in it, if you let it saturate your life, then you will find freedom. Now, their response to Jesus in verse 33 is really interesting. They say this, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? In other words, we're already free. How can those who are free become free? You see, and this is, this is the underlying root issue that all men has. We think we're free when we indeed are not free. They looked at their heritage. They look at the fact that, man, we're Jewish blood. We are sons of Abraham, the promise, the inheritance, full freedom is for us. We've never been enslaved. How can we be free, they ask. So notice what Jesus says in response to verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now that verse right there, verse 35, you'll hopefully connect the dots as we get into Galatians 4. But that's a critical statement because what he's saying is in a family, in a house, the slave does not remain forever there. He's, he's on borrowed time. He's, he's temporary help, if you will. But the son in the house has the inheritance. The son is there forever. He's the one who's truly free for all of life. But Jesus tells them in verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so who is everyone who practices sin? Well, it's everyone. And so what Jesus is telling them is it doesn't matter if you come from Abraham or if you come from someone else. You are a slave to sin if you practice sin. And last time I checked, church, we are all people who practice sin. Which means we are all enslaved. Which means that there's this idea that deep inside of us we crave and we long for freedom, but yet... What Paul's going to reveal, what Jesus just revealed, is that the freedom only comes through being a son. 
And so Jesus responds further. He says in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this ties directly into what Paul's been teaching us in Galatians, that it is the Son that you believe in and have faith in that sets you free. He justifies you. He sets you free by becoming a curse for you. Right? He pays the penalty. He pays the price to release you and set you free, but then he also adopts you as one of his own. And you become a son as well and an heir, and in that you find freedom yourself. And so this idea of being free indeed, where you become fully free, is something that we all crave, we all long for. So this morning in Galatians chapter 4, we see Paul turn now to a conclusion, if you will, of chapters 3 and 4 with this powerful picture from the Old Testament. Let's read it this morning. Verse 21, Galatians chapter 4. It says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just, at, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And then chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul hammers down on this idea of freedom. Now, this text, this, these verses that we just read, they're, they're very technical. They're very complex in nature. And there's great truths to mine out of this with this idea of what does it mean for us to be fully free. Let me, let me walk us through it. Let me explain what Paul is doing. In verse 21, if you notice, he says, tell me you who desire to be under the law. And what he's doing, he's, he's addressing these Galatian Christians. Some of them have decided that they want to come back under the law. The, the Judaizers have shown up from Jerusalem and they've said, listen, I understand, but if you're going to be right with God, then you need to, to become like us. You need to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. And so G, uh, Paul is saying to them, those of you who want to come under the law, in other words, this, those of you who want to rely on the law, 
for your right standing before God, then he asked them this, do you even hear what the law is saying? In other words, do you, are you even listening to what the law says about freedom? And he says, as it is written. In other words, he's going back to the Old Testament. He's going back to the law to explain to them what freedom really is all about. And so we see in verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, who is Abraham? We understand Abraham's the father of Israel. He's, he's the one that God came to. He was a pagan. He was, he was living his life. And God says, I'm choosing you. And I, out of you, I'm going to form a nation. And out of this nation, all the nations are going to be blessed, the scripture says. And so Abraham believes God. And he trusts God and he leaves his land and he goes to the place where God leads him and directs him. And we see where Paul says that Abraham had two sons. Well, actually, Abraham had more than two sons. But the two sons that he's talking about specifically here are very pertinent for us to understand what it means to be free. See, in Genesis chapter 15, God had made a promise that he was going to have a son, that he was going to have an heir. And in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, we find that Abraham's a little bit downcast, if you will. He's looking at the situation of his life. He's looking at the situation of his wife, and he's looking at this promise, and he's saying, God, I don't have a son. I'm not really seeing this happening. And he says, well, God, listen, I've got a servant in my household. His name's Eleazar. And technically, according to the custom, he's the recipient of my inheritance. He's the one that's going to get it all. So is, is this what you mean by this promise? And God says, no, your very own son shall be your heir. A promise to make it happen. Well, if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 16, one chapter later, some time has passed and Sarah and Abraham looked at the situation and continued to realize, well, there's no way we're having a baby. Maybe we should do something about this. And so Sarah, she remembers that she has a young maid servant from Egypt. And culturally, it's acceptable for a man who does not have a son to be able to Continue on his family legacy, if you will, through a maidservant. And so Sarah says, well, Abraham, why don't you just take Hagar, my maidservant, and together y'all can have a son and this can actually happen. And so Abraham says, okay. Sounds good to me. And that's what happens. They have a son, Hagar and Abraham, and his son is named Ishmael. This is one of the sons that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 4. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, or 16, verse, uh, chapter 17, it's about 14 years later after Ishmael is born, God comes back to Abraham and Sarah and he says, it's time. You're going to have a son. And the scripture says in Genesis 17 that Abraham fell on his face and laughed. 
hysterically. Can you imagine? This is what he says. He says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He's literally laughing at God, coming and telling him that this is going to happen. And then Abraham says to God, he says, oh, God, that Ishmael might live in thy sight. In other words, I've already got a son. Did you not see what I accomplished? I've got Ishmael. And God says, no. He says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And so four chapters later in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. In other words, he opened up her womb. She was barren. She was unable to have children. It was impossible. She's 90 years old, barren for all her life. God opens her womb. And then all of a sudden, verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Son number two, Isaac. Son number one, Ishmael. Paul says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. You ready for this? One by a slave woman, Hagar, and one by a free woman, Sarah, his wife. And so this is the context. This is what Paul is referring to in verse 22. And now in verse 23, he says something that is so powerful. Understand this. He says, but the son of the slave, all right, Hagar is the slave. The son, Ishmael, was born. What does it say? Underline this, according to the flesh. According to the flesh. But then what does he say this? While the son of the free woman, Sarah, Isaac, was born according or through the promise. And what he's doing is he's comparing and contrasting these two births, these two sons. And he says, one was done on his own accord. One was done on his own power. One was done by his own desires. One was done with his own self-effort, born according to the flesh. Ishmael comes. The other son was done by God's power, God's design, God's ways, God's miraculous work, where it couldn't have happened any other way, Isaac. One is a slave, and one is free. And what he does next is so powerful. Notice what he says in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. What we just looked at is historical reality. Paul's not saying it's all allegory. What he's doing now is he's taking this reality of these births and he's saying, now let me teach you a spiritual truth that is pertinent for you to understand this idea of freedom. He says, these two women are two covenants, Hagar and Sarah, the slave and the free. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. So he turns his attention first to Hagar, the slave woman. And he says, allegorically, illustration-wise, she represents Mount Sinai. Now, what's Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is the mountain that the law was given by God to his people. 
Now this is critical. This is, this is powerful what Paul's doing. When, when God gave the law, he gave it to the Israelites. And who were the Israelites? They were actually the ones who came from Isaac. But Hagar, who had Ishmael, Paul says, Hagar represents Mount Sinai and the law. What does he say? She is bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. In other words, this is what Paul's saying. The law leads to slavery. And then he says this. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds, listen to this, to the present Jerusalem. The present Jerusalem. Now, in that day, what is the present Jerusalem? It's the center. It's the heartbeat. It's, it's the, 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 the very core, if you will, of Judaism. It's the place where these Judaizers came from. They show up on the scene to these Galatian Gentiles and say, listen, if you want freedom, if you want life, if you want to be right with God, you need to become like us in Jerusalem. In us in Jerusalem, we've been circumcised and we're following the law and we're abiding by the law and God looks down on us and he's pleased with us because of this. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The law in the present day Jerusalem represent Hagar and Ishmael. Slavery. Why? Because, listen, it was done according to the flesh. So here's the picture. In Mount Sinai, when God gave the law, what is it that the Israelites were doing in that moment when God is giving the law? They are turning from God and turning to their own desires and their own self-effort and their own ways and their own heartbeat for worship and they build a golden calf and they turn to it and in that find themselves enslaved to it. And they turn from that and they say, oh God, please forgive us. And the law comes down and they receive the law and this is what the scripture says, how they responded to getting the law. They say this, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This was what the Israelites said when they received the law. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, in our minds, we read that and we think, well, good for them. They should do it. But this is where we find ourselves actually in slavery rather than freedom. By that response right there. Here's what I mean by this. No you won't do it. Do you hear the arrogance? Do you hear the self-dependence? Do you, see, do you hear the self-reliance? Do you, do you hear the, the pride inside of them that says, oh, thank you for giving us this law. We're going to go and fulfill this law. And in fulfilling this law, you're going to be happy with us. Rather than the place of submissiveness to recognize that the law was given to make them dependent upon God. See, in their arrogance, they thought that they could fulfill the law. And in trying to fulfill the law, they became enslaved to the law. And so here's the allegorical connection. Would we choose our way, our effort, our desire, our pride, our power over God's, it will always lead to enslavement. Every time. Every time. And this is the picture of what 
Paul's portraying for them. And this is fascinating, and this is powerful, because here's what he's doing, is he's reversing what is common in that culture. What do I mean by that? Well, in that culture, the Jewish people saw themselves in the line of Isaac, and the Gentiles were in the line of Ishmael. But what does he say? He says, no, 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 present Jerusalem is aligned with Ishmael. And so we find this very interesting. And so in verse 26, he shifts, and now he contrasts with the freedom. He says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So he's just said the Jerusalem present here on this earth corresponds to slavery, but the Jerusalem above is free. Now what's the Jerusalem above? The Jerusalem above is the place where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's the true Jerusalem. Galatians 3 verses 1 through 2, it says this, if then you have been Raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So where is freedom found? On things that are above. Last week, Paul tells us and taught us that he won't stop until Christ is formed in you. Colossians 3 teaches us what it means for Christ to be formed in us, that our minds dwell on the things that are above. Why? Because the things that are above are the things that lead to freedom. We walk in a manner that honors and that lives out the things that are above, but we can only do that when we become submissive and surrender to that which is above, who is Christ seated on his throne. See, full freedom is found above. It's not the things here on this earth It's not found in the ways of man or the desires of man or man's power. No, it's found in Christ. You see, this is the powerful picture. The birth of Isaac came from above. The birth of Ishmael came from here on earth. One leads to slavery. One leads to to freedom. See, the opening of the barren womb of Sarah, the fulfillment of the promise, it was God's way, God's power, and God's desire that accomplished it. And so in verse 28, Paul says this, so now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. And this is where that powerful reversal comes clear to them. He's saying, you are Gentiles, you are seen as the lineage of Ishmael, but because of faith in Christ, because you've been set free in Christ, you are now Isaac, you are now free. Now look at verse 29. He says, but just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also is it now. That phrase, born according to the spirit, is important because if you notice earlier in verse 23 he compares and contrasts the two by that which is born according to the flesh and that which was born through promise 
Well, now he says that which is born according to the flesh and that which was born according to the spirit. So here's what Paul's doing. What he's saying is this. How do you know if you're the one who is free? How do you know if you're the one who's born through promise? How do you know if this is you or if you are indeed slave through the flesh? It's this, that you are born according to the Spirit. In other words, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. You see, it is in the arrival of the Holy Spirit that makes us new, that makes us alive, that empowers us, that that guides us, that directs us, that we find freedom. Consider this. If freedom is found in God's ways, if freedom is found in allowing God's power to be at work and not our own, if freedom is found in aligning ourselves to him, then the only way that we will ever find freedom is if God himself dwells within us and is accomplishing all of that. And that happens when the Holy Spirit is birthed within you. And that happens when you place faith in the Son. And this is why Jesus tells these Jews that if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Do you see how this is all tying together? So what we see here is this, that we have really two options in our life. We're either born according to the flesh, which leads to slavery, or we're born according to the spirit that leads to life and freedom. You see, the Jews that Jesus was talking to said, we're sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. The Judaizers show up to the Galatians. Hey, if you want freedom, you need to find it in the law. They thought they were free, but indeed they were enslaved. Why? Because freedom inherited isn't through a bloodline, but rather through a faith line. It's through a faith line. And this is why in verse 31, Paul says this, So brothers, we are not children of the slave. He's telling these Gentile believers, you are free already. Don't turn back to the law. You have been set free. So now, I told you this was technical. There's a lot to it. What do we make of this? What's the so what in our lives? If Hagar represents the law, which leads to enslavement, the implication is this. It was all done through self-reliance. Abraham said, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to help God so God can help me. I'm going to accomplish this on my own. I want God's blessing, and I'm going to find God's blessing through my way rather than God's way. Church, living your life based upon your plans, your ways, and your own self-efforts will always lead you to a place of enslavement. But Sarah whose womb was opened according to the promise, represents freedom. It's what God can accomplish. In church, the only way we will experience full freedom is when we allow God to accomplish what only God can accomplish according to his ways, his design, and his power. And we trust in it by faith. Then comes freedom. No other way. You see, it is in his truth that you will find 
freedom. Church, we live in a world that is broken. You understand this, right? And the reason our world is broken is because our world is enslaved to self-reliance and self rather than God's ways. Meaning this, that when God created, God created with his design in mind, with his way of everything working. He has a design for sexuality. He has a design for family. He has a design for work. He has a design for money. He has a design for your life. And when we get outside of those designs, it always leads to enslavement. We live in a world that says, well, you can be free and we are free to go explore our sexuality in any way that we want to do it. But in doing so, it leads you to slavery. We can live in a world that says, sure, you can get a divorce for whatever reason you want. You're not happy, get a divorce. Sure, that's great. You want to marry someone of the same sex? Sure, go for it. We can redefine marriage however we want to do it and redefine family. You want to abandon your family? Sure, go for it. You're free to do so, but it will always lead to slavery. It will always lead to brokenness. This is why young people are growing up in broken homes, and it's impacting them tremendously. Why? Because it's not according to God's design. Work. Sure, you're free to be a workaholic and give your life to your work and all these things, but it will only lead to enslavement. Sure that you can be free to do whatever you want with your money, but in so doing, you'll become a slave to your money. See, God's design is different Church, and when we recognize the truth of God's design and submit our lives, not according to our self-reliance and our ways, but his ways, then all of a sudden, then we'll find freedom. Then we'll find freedom. But not until then. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that you got on an airplane and you went up into the sky, however high that you go up into a sky, and someone opens the door and hands you a parachute and says, you are free to explore and jump and have the time of your life. Explore your sexuality. Live your marriage and your, your family how you want to do it. Do whatever you want with your money. Just, just go be free. Make all the choices that you want. And you're flying through the air, the most freeing thing that you could probably ever do in this world. Just fly through the sky. And you're free to do so. But you're no longer free when you realize that the parachute won't open. You see, people are living their lives thinking that they're free, but they're simply just skydiving without a parachute. Freedom is only found in Jesus, in God's designs, in God's ways. Church, know this. The enemy is working overtime to enslave you. And he does so by deceiving you, to get you to become enslaved to that which was not meant to enslave you. And so what do we do? Verse 30, Paul says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. In other words, he quotes Sarah, who looks at Hagar and says, cast her out. And here's what he's saying to these 
Galatians. He's saying these Judaizers are coming in here and they're trying to enslave you. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Don't listen to them. And church, my question for you this morning is this. What is it in your life that is enslaving your heart? What are the things in your life that are enslaving your mind? What are the lies that you're listening to? Put it aside. Put it aside. Not by your own power, not by your own might, but simply by falling before God Almighty, who is the one who brings freedom and say, God, you and you alone, I submit and I surrender to your design, your ways, rid my life of all of the, the stuff that's enslaved my heart. You see, God does what you can't do on your own. He fulfills it. He accomplishes it. You see, God's design for freedom is only found in salvation because only God's design for salvation can free. When I was in college, I spent a summer overseas in a southeastern Asian country spending some time with some friends there that were new friends at the time. I didn't know them, but became friends with them that were Muslim. I was staying on a college campus and I was having a conversation with this um, college student who was a Muslim and I, I, I simply asked him, I said, what would it take for me to become Muslim? It's always a fun question. And he said, well, he said, there's five pillars of Islam and the first step is that you make this profession of allegiance to Muhammad, that there's only one God and Muhammad, you worship him. It's a profession. And he said, every day there's, there's prayers that you do, right? And you bow down facing east, facing Mecca, and you, you pray. And then the third pillar is that you give alms and you help the poor. And then the fourth one is that you fast and that you deny self. And then the last one is that you go on this pilgrimage to Mecca. And he said, if you fulfill all these things and do all these things, then you'll be Muslim. I said, okay, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. When your life is over, after, uh, after you've accomplished all of these, and he's like, man, I haven't done the pilgrimage yet. And I, I don't, let's just be honest, I don't fast a whole lot. And I try to help the poor, I try to give, but I do my prayers and I've, I've made my profession. I said, okay. I said, in the end, when your life is over, and you've done all of this. Are you going to heaven? And he looked at me in the face. And on his face was a face of anguish, despair, uncertainty, and exhaustion. And he said, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But I don't know. church, here was a young man who was living a life freely who was not free. He was enslaved to work. He was enslaved to a religion that was a lie. You see, there's only freedom when the sun has set you free. Then 
you will be free indeed. Then you live your life out of the freedom that he gives. Let me show you the implication of what happens when we choose our self-effort and our way instead of God's way. Abraham has a son named Ishmael with Hagar, according to the flesh, the scripture says. From Ishmael come the Arab people. From the Arab people comes a man named Muhammad. And from Muhammad comes a religion called Islam that enslaved this young college man. You see, it's not about your lineage. There are Arab Christians all over this world. There are Muslims who are seeing the truth and their eyes are being opened and they are being set free because the sun is setting them free. But it's all because of what God has done, not because of what they have done. Church, are you free this morning? Have you been set free? Are you living in that freedom? If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. This morning we're going to finish with partaking of communion of the Lord's Supper. And as we reflect on this, I want to encourage you to consider your life. Are you living a life of self-dependence and self-reliance and self-desires, or are you living a life resting and trusting in the work of God, what He and He alone can accomplish? Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a place of freedom, isn't it? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do you remember what Paul says? That the one who has been born according to the spirit is the one who's of the line of Isaac. He's the one that's free. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What does God do for Abraham and Sarah? He opens the womb. He accomplishes what was impossible to do, bringing about freedom. And so what has God done for us? He does what was impossible by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us it was impossible but yet God made it possible through Jesus Christ you can't fulfill the righteous requirement of the law on your own and if you're trying you are enslaved to it but Jesus has fulfilled it And when you rely on him and trust in him and submit to him and walk in him, then all of a sudden you will find freedom. Jesus met with his disciples before he gave his life. And he says that I'm going to give my body, I'm going to shed my blood so that you can have freedom. Freedom for eternity. Scripture says that he took the bread. He said, this bread represents my body that was broken for you. 
Church, do you believe this morning that Jesus Christ gave his life for you, that he was the son of God, that he was the one who accomplished all the requirements of the law on your behalf and you are resting in him this morning? If so, then you are free. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he says he takes the cup. And the cup symbolically represents his blood. And Jesus says where there is no shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. There's no forgiveness of sins, which means that you are in chains and bondage to the guilt of your sin. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Because of me, you are set free. You are washed clean. And I choose to remember your sins no more. Church, do you believe that Jesus shed his blood for you? Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We rejoice in the freedom that we have in you. Lord, forgive us when we try to experience freedom on our own. Lord, when we try to do it our own way, when we chase after our own desires, help us to live in submission to your ways. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to finish up with a song. My prayer is that as we sing this, it would just be the prayer of your heart. If you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, walk with you in any way, I'll be down front. Pastor Casey's down front. Grab us now. Grab us after the service. So you respond as the Lord leads this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.